This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Recently, Tom O'Toole led a training session on the presence of God and prayer. In this podcast, we're bringing in the recording of the first part of that session where Tom was talking about the presence of God. You can find the full notes on everything that Tom said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 117. So here is the session with Tom O'Toole. What I've been asked to, to bring today is some content on prayer, on our devotional life, on how we build the culture of prayer into the things that we are leading. And uh, I've got um, three sections that I'm going to uh, do with you on that. I want to do some foundational stuff where we're, we're digging into the scriptures, where we're understanding uh, some key things uh, around the topic of the presence of God. That's a, a phrase that's sometimes used. I want to dig into what do we actually mean when we say that? Well, what is it to spend time in God's presence? I'm going to look around that for a little while. Uh, Then we're going to go into our own devotional lives as leaders. How do we fuel the fire there? And then thirdly, how do we then build that culture into our ministries? Um, There'll be bits where I am sharing from the front, but also it'd be good to get you processing a bit, Kevin, twos and threes. So if you look at the people around you and and make sure you're comfortable sharing with those people, uh, I'll get you turning to them in a moment or two. Uh, And then also there'll be opportunity for Q&A. So if as I'm going, you want to ask a question there and then feel free to interrupt me, but also there'll be moments that can I stop and uh, take questions. So uh, to start with, um, the presence of God, and I'm going to get you just to kind of interact with that to start with. So I'll put on the screen a few questions, but uh, the, the first one I want you to think about just with one or two people around you is what's your first reaction when I say that phrase? What, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, the presence of God? And then just to kind of follow up part two and part three, keep going, um, specifically maybe think what Bible passages come to mind, and then uh, what's your own personal experience around it as well. Maybe a couple of you would just share some of the things you came up with. Feel free to interact with any of the questions that most grip you, but let's just hear one or two thoughts that you'd share with the group. Holy, okay, yep. So uh, God's presence is his holiness, yep. Yeah, anything else? I've got fear. Fear, so it invokes that sense of fear, reverence, or, yeah, good. Yeah, fear as well, yep. Yeah. He's everywhere, yeah. So that's a very interesting comment. Because when we talk about the presence of God, there are different ways that we might use that phrase and so different meanings that we might take from it. So uh, firstly, we might uh, interact with the idea that God is omnipresent. So God is always present everywhere. So we might be talking about the presence of God that is present everywhere in the cosmos all the time. So you could read, for example, Psalm 139, uh, verses 7 to 10. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere all the time. That's kind of one foundation stone of God's presence. 
But then you could say, well, we are believers in Christ and he sent his Holy Spirit to be with us all the time. So there's an indwelling presence of God where he's present with us as Christians in a sense that is somehow different to the way that he's present everywhere all the time. So when we're talking about the presence of God, it would be a mistake if we're thinking God is only present at certain times with us. We're Christians and we have the Holy Spirit with us all the time. I've got a quote from Andrew Wilson that spoke to me quite a lot. Let me just uh, display it for you on here. People sometimes sing, waiting here for you, we're desperate for your presence, without regard for the fact that the presence of God has already come to them in an irrevocable way, both individually and corporately. And Jesus has promised to never leave them nor forsake them. They talk about seeking the presence, and they quote Moses' famous prayer, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. Again, without reference to the vital points that even then, God has already promised to go with Israel, and that since Pentecost, it's simply impossible for a church who believes and preaches the gospel to somehow lose the presence of God. If we're thinking about the presence of God, we need to know that he's everywhere, but as believers, he's always present with us all the time. So, it would be wrong for us to talk about God's presence in the sense of, is he with us or not? But sadly, some people do talk with that kind of implication, and that sometimes puts other people off the idea of the presence of God altogether. They'll hear people talking about it, they'll think, that can't be right, because I know God's with me all the time, so I'll throw the baby out with the bathwater and ditch what they are talking about. Now, there is a, a legitimate question that we can and should ask from uh, experience, and that is, what do we know of God's presence with us? So we might in our heads realize that God is with us all the time, but have we experienced that? Have we encountered that? Do we have an awareness of that? Let me give you a John Piper quote as well, because he kind of comes back at it and he says, well, there is a sense in which God's presence is not always with us. For this reason, the Bible repeatedly calls us to seek the Lord, seek his presence continually. God's manifest, trusted, conscious presence is not our constant experience. So though God is always present with us, we might not always be aware of and trusting and interacting with that presence. So there's an experiential element to it that we could call the manifest presence of God. And often theologians make a difference between God's presence and his manifest presence. So for example, uh, Tozer says the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. There can be one without the other. God is here when we're wholly unaware of it, but he is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. So we're not talking about uh, whether God shows up or not. We're talking about increasing our awareness and appreciation of the fact that God is with us. That's what we mean when we're talking about God's presence. So I want you to get back in kind of the twos and threes. Can you think of examples in the Bible of people who experienced the manifest presence of God in this way? And I want you to try and think both Old Testament and New Testament examples if you can. Try and come up with like a couple of examples of each if that's okay. Okay, let's hear what you came up with. Let's start kind of Old Testament. What did you come up with in the Old Testament where people experienced God's presence? 
Moses, yeah, you think you're in kind of maybe burning bush, up on the mountain as well, perhaps. Yeah, there are examples there with Moses. Yeah, go on. Uh, Jesus in the River Jordan. Baptized. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, but it's a good example for New Testament. So, yeah, so Jesus, as he was uh, getting baptized and kind of the voice spoke, the dove came down, absolutely. Isaiah, yeah, he's kind of taken to the throne room, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Moses. Yeah, Moses, Abraham. Kind of throughout, you see people, they're, they're talking to God. They're having interactions with him where God is speaking about, where they're aware of God's presence with them. Okay, what about New Testament? Jonah. Oh, yeah, Jonah. Absolutely, Jonah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the soul is in the presence of God. Yes. And then later... Mm. God leaves him and won't answer it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, actually, there's kind of a parallel between as the spirit leaves Saul and the spirit uh, anoints David as the new king. Now, um, the way kind of the spirit was with people in the Old Testament is different to post-Pentecost. I wouldn't expect that to happen in New Testament times. That's a great example of how it was in the Old Testament. What did we come up with in the New Testament of people experiencing God's presence? Okay, so Paul on the road to Damascus had Jesus physically uh, appear before him. Yeah, the resurrected Christ was there. Yeah. Pentecost. Pentecost, yeah. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. They knew that God was with them in that moment. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. John as well. Yes. Mm. Yeah, and John uses the phrase, doesn't he? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day at the start of the book of Resurrection. So he was aware, I'm in the Spirit, I'm in the presence of God. Paul talks about how he'd been up into the third heaven. In the book of Acts, you've got this kind of rhythm of um, things were about to happen, and it might say Peter, or it might say Peter and John, or the disciples, were filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they went out and proclaimed the word. So you, you see this kind of rhythm. In, in moments, people are experiencing God's presence. I want to put it to you that the presence of God is kind of the whole point of the gospel. So uh, you could read 1 Peter 3 verse 18. In fact, let's do so um, just to get the sense of why we've been saved. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. So uh, Christ died for us. And if you read kind of Piper's work on this, God is the gospel, he, he would kind of push you to say, well, why did Jesus die? Yes, so we could be forgiven. But why is it important that we can be forgiven? Okay, so we're righteous. Why is that important? It's so we can come to God, so we can have full relationship with God, so we, we can be in his presence without being kind of consumed by his holiness. Actually, the whole point is that humans can come to God. Being in the presence of God is the point. And you think through kind of the Old Testament, the hope that people had. So uh, you might look at David in Psalm 27. He kind of expresses his one hope. So uh, Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The thing he wants above all else is to be in the house of God, to be in the place where the presence of God is. Or, uh, someone said Jonah is an example. Well, when Jonah is in, in the belly of the fish when he's crying out. I'll read Jonah uh, chapter 2 verse 4. Let's have a look at what he's hoping for in that moment. 
Jonah 2 verse 4. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He's not just saying, I've got a hope that one day I'll be out of this fish and back on dry land. He's saying, one day I will look again on your temple. The temple seems to have kind of a center stage in the Old Testament narrative. Why is that? Well, it's because the temple was the meeting place of people and God. You can actually track this all the way through the story of the Bible. In Genesis 1 verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth. You can think of the heavens as kind of God's dwelling place and the earth as man's dwelling place. Initially, they were together. God's place and man's place were one. There was no division between them in creation. However, as time goes by, there is a division. There's the fall, isn't there? And you see uh, in Genesis 3, before the fall, uh, you see that kind of God had the habit of walking in the garden. Uh, and after the fall, he's walking in the garden, but he's saying, where are you? This fellowship, this uh, people being in God's presence, walking with him, has now broken. The end of Genesis 3, actually, there's the angel with the sword blocking the way to God's presence. And then throughout Genesis, you might get little glimpses of people meeting with God, but, but the fellowship has been broken. Now, you, you go into Exodus. Have you ever asked this question, what's the main point of the book of Exodus? It's a good question to ask. What, what, what would your kind of gut reaction be? Passover. You might say the Passover, yes. So uh, the fact that the lamb was slain, the people could be brought out uh, of Egypt, the, the judgment and the salvation. Yeah. Often when I've asked people that question, they talk about freedom. They talk about God's people who are slaves being set free. The problem I've got when I read Exodus is the way we think of it only takes us about halfway. It takes us to about chapter 15, maybe to chapter 20 if we want to include the covenant. Exodus is 40 chapters. What's going on in the second half of the book of Exodus? What's that all about? And why is it there? Why is it important to the story? Well, what they're doing is they're building a tabernacle. And the whole thing is kind of instructions for this special tent that they are creating. I'll read them Exodus 25. Verses 8 and 9. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. So there are some really specific detailed instructions to follow. But the point is, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. And you see, actually, uh, from this moment onwards, now you have God dwelling with his people again. Now, there are problems with this, uh, like not least the fact that there are the different sections of it. And people can't go into the Holy of Holies. So although God is dwelling there, people can't access the presence because of sin. Uh, I've got like a little illustration for you. When England won the World Cup in 1966, I don't know if you've seen the clip of um, Bobby Moore. He's about to get his medal and collect the trophy. He has to shake hands with the Queen. And you see him on his way up. He's rubbing his hand on his shorts. <laughs> and someone asked him afterwards, like, Bobby, why were you doing that on your way up to this moment? He said, well, I had dirt on my hands and I was about to come into the presence of royalty. I couldn't bring this filth into contact with the Queen, could I? So I had to get rid of it somehow. Now it's a bit like that but I think um, the queen but go way more so because it's the holy God. How can we bring filth into his presence? So although the tabernacle was there, people couldn't go into the holy place where God's presence was. And so uh, they had to do like incense and the high priest could go in once a year. He had to look down he couldn't catch a glimpse of God's glory otherwise he would be consumed. 
Well, in time, the, the tabernacle turns into the temple. They're established in the land. They want this permanent place of God's presence. And uh, you see this kind of the dedication of it that you find in 1 Kings chapter 8. I'll read verse 10 and 11. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priests couldn't stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So as they dedicate the temple, they find God's glory is there. And then when you kind of accelerate many years, kind of the people have had their civil war, they've been conquered, they've been kicked out of the land, they've returned, eventually they build the second temple. They do a dedication that is very, very similar to the first dedication. They go through all the same motions, say the same prayers, sing the same songs, but there's one piece missing. Uh, you can read this in Ezra chapter 3, but you see all the same things happen except the glory of the Lord doesn't come. And so that's where you get the old men crying because they knew the glory of the Lord was in the first temple. Now it's not there. And so for hundreds of years, the idea of meeting with God and there being a place of the presence of God on earth is just not a thing. It's not a thing they can engage with. Where can people go now to meet with God? And you've got kind of like the prophetic promises of Ezekiel chapter 47 of this great temple with the river flowing out, blessing the land. It's a symbol of God's presence. But really for centuries, we're all quiet on the idea of the presence of of God until Jesus shows up. And in John's gospel, uh, you've got in, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Fast forward a few verses. And the word became flesh and he made his dwelling amongst us. The presence of God is back. In fact, the Greek word for made his dwelling could literally be translated tabernacled. Okay, so the word tabernacled among us. He is the place. So Jesus is all of a sudden the presence of God is back. You want to meet with God, you can go and you can meet Jesus and he is the presence presence of God embodied in human form. He's the meeting point between heaven and earth. He is the God-man. He's bringing heaven down to earth. You can fast forward, you can see similar things going on in the new creation. If you read, let me just read Revelation chapter 21. I'll read a couple of verses. I'll read verse 3 and verse 22. Revelation 21 verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And then verse 22, And I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So uh, in the new creation, God's presence, his manifest presence, will be there all over the earth. The whole earth will be full of his presence and his glory. But I've jumped from Jesus to the new creation. What about now? What about right now? Where do we meet with the presence of God now? Well, I'll share just a few verses here as well. John chapter 7, verse 38. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit. So you remember how in Eden there was the rivers flowing out of Eden? 
there. And in the new creation, there's the rivers flowing out of there. And in Ezekiel's temple, the river flowing out of the temple. Where God's presence is, the water then flows to bless others. And he said it's in us. It's in Christians. It's in believers. And this is applied to us individually in 1 Corinthians 6. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. But it's also applied to us corporately as the church, as the gathered people of God. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? Where can we find the presence of God today? It's in his church. It's in his bride. It's his body. It is his people. Here's a Terry Virgo quote for you. If the church is a temple of the Holy Spirit, shouldn't we expect to meet him there? It's a, good, it's a good question. It's a provocative question. But we would expect in the church that we would meet with God, that we would encounter his presence. Just a couple more little things on the presence of God before we pause and move on to part two. Uh, the Hebrew word for the presence of God was panin. Um, this was also the Hebrew word for the face of God. So if you can think of Old Testament uh, passages about God's face, it's getting at this same idea. So when Moses said, God, I want to see your face, he said, God, I want to experience your manifest presence. And God said, actually, you can't. You can't see it and live. But you, you can see my back. You can kind of have a little glimpse of it. Um, God encourages us to seek his face. God encourages us to go after his manifest presence. Psalm 27, verse 8 says with me you have said seek my face and my heart says to you your face Lord do I seek God asks us to to go after his presence like that and you might think of the high priestly benediction the Lord bless you and keep you the Lord be gracious to you the Lord make his face shine upon you it's a prayer that you will know his presence and of course in the New Testament this idea of the face of God is fulfilled in our relationship with Jesus so 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 6 for God who said let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ as believers God's presence is with us he indwells us so we can experience the manifestation of that presence in our lives so to conclude this section I've got two more questions for you to discuss in your groups and then uh, we might do a little bit of Q&A if you want and then we will move on what effect should we expect an experience of God's manifest presence to have on us? Now, some of us have kind of talked about this a bit earlier, maybe some of the stuff like fear and awe and stuff, but I just think through the different uh, things it might do to us, and then what outworking will having a desire for God's presence have in our life? Okay, let's kind of take a few of the thoughts. On the first one, what are some of the things we would expect uh, to be the effect of experiencing God's manifest presence? Share one or two of your thoughts. Go on. Transformation. Transformation. I think that is hitting the nail on the head. I'm, I put this question in slightly to get at the idea that uh, I know some people have, and uh, it might be more in circles that kind of I run in than, than here, but some people seem to think that meeting with the presence of God it has the main effect of giving you a warm, tingly sensation in the moment, uh, and that being it. And I, that's not what I see when I read scripture. I see people meet with God and are changed by it. And actually, something happens in their life. It might 
might be a conviction of their sin. It might maybe a renewed joy in holiness. It may be kind of a missionary zeal. But something happens that changes you to the core when you meet with God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? Well, you become. I mean, it's the same thing that you become more Christ-like. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And meeting with God does that. It, it's one of the things. It's not the only thing because God can actually work through seasons where the manifestation of the presence isn't uh, as prominent, but he's still with you and dwelling you. He can work through that season as well. But when God meets with you in this way, things change, uh, and he takes you from glory to glory. He builds you as a disciple. He builds your love for Christ and your love for others. He does something like that. From an emotional point of view, meeting with God, it it does engage the emotions, but uh, it's not kind of always the same emotion. Sometimes it's deep joy. Sometimes he breaks your heart for uh, for sin or for um, pain or for uh, the the fallenness of the world. Sometimes he gets a fire in your gut to to pray. He he does different things in you. But that's really what I was getting at there. Um, The second one, what outworking will our desire for God's presence have in our lives? I think the reason I put that one in is just... It should have some outwork. It actually, if we're created for God to know him, to meet with him, our life should look like we want to meet with him. And uh, maybe it kind of drives our devotional life. Uh, maybe it drives our faith, actually. We've got an expectation that God will show up. We're not just kind of cruising through life, kind of expecting never to um, sense God with us. But we know God's with me. And there'll be times he really shows that and embraces it and does something. And, and I think from a missionary perspective, I think it's massive. The amount of people out there who've never encountered God, uh, who are created for him, it needs to drive us that way as well well thank you for listening we hope you found this helpful and just a reminder you can find the full notes on everything that tom said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 117 see you next time